that's your friend. You don't go over there and shake hands, smile, hug their neck. Let's knock them on their backs, butt them in the mouth, knock their ass in the dirt. That's what we got to do. We got to stop that buddy ball, smash everybody in the mouth. Hey, baby, we're going to be here all day, baby. I like this kind of party. I like this kind of party, baby. You're in the doghouse with Rick Watson and Big Dog Sports Talk on the WRAD Talk Network. Remember, with great power comes great responsibility. You know what that means? Do you? We're underdog. We're mutts. My number one play is the power sweep. If you only knew the power of the dark side... Welcome in to Hour 3, the Power Hour, on Big Dog Sports Talk with Rick Watson. Join the conversation now on the Long & Foster Baker Team Hotline, 540-639-4900, or text Rick and the show at 744-2990. Kenny Brooks, the head women's basketball coach at Virginia Tech, joining us now on the program. As we put the bow at least on the games part of the 2024 season, the Radford Hall of Famer, our NFL correspondent, David Smith. David, good morning. How are you, my friend? My man, good morning to you on a windy Tuesday morning. Yeah. We put a bow on the football season. Sadly, you know, we talked about this when the, the first game of the year, Rick. How about this? The Detroit Lions go to Kansas City, the ring night, the banner night, and they beat the Chiefs on a Thursday night in September, 21-20. to 20. That's the game where Mahomes had the interception when it goes off the hands of his receiver. The theme for the season for the Chiefs, right? You don't have any receivers. And then the last game of the season is the Chiefs again. And they wrap up their third Super Bowl in five years, being one of only three teams to do that. And so it's one of those deals <clears throat> to me, uh, as we break this thing down and get into it, if you don't have Patrick Mahomes completely out of the game, and I'm not sure what that even is, he will find a way to beat you, and we've got to crown him right now because he's earned it, and he's only 28 years old. And sadly, Rick, He's in your division mm-hmm. and in my conference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's true. And so, and so here we go, and Pebbles as well. And so we're going we're gonna to navigate through that. But to the victor go the spoils, and the Chiefs have earned it, and they also did it not being the one seed. So they have to play the most playoff games to do it, and so you got to give them the credit. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, if you're going to talk about Brady now, you've got to put Mahomes right there with him. What he's doing is unprecedented, six straight championship games, and – 
that the marriage with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes will go down in the annals as one of the greatest quarterback coaching duos ever. But uh, on the other side of it, as we break it down, I mean, Cal Shanahan now has completely earned the stigma that he cannot win a clutch football game. And some of the things that have come out since and what he did in overtime and then the players saying they had no idea about the rules. I mean, I know he's a brilliant offensive mind, but that is a really bad look for Kyle Shanahan. Uh, what's, and it, I'll tell you what's even – that is a really bad look, and there's no disputing that. And he will have to wear this moniker until he gets it resolved <clears throat> that they can't close a the deal. They're good enough to get leads. It's really weird. But yet the punt hits uh, a defender or mm-hmm. receiver on the foot. And then Ray Bain McLeod, instead of just – no one talks about why didn't he just fall on it? Right. You know, trying to pick that – if he falls on it, no one really cares about it. You kind of go, ooh, we dodged a bullet there, right? You have that. A missed extra point to go up four instead of three, right. which changes a lot of the narratives in the game. And then, of course, the inexplicable decision in overtime to go for it where you really – Thinking uh, there were people for some reason on that team that thought by scoring it would wrap the game up. I know. And then, the, and, but this is this is the weird part about that 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 I want to get your take on is even if the team didn't know that, why were they so easy to just say that in the press conference <laughs> instead of just being quiet about that? I you know. know. What I mean, it's, I know. They they wanted everyone to know. As first, I'd heard of. I didn't know about the rule. I know. Whereas even if you didn't know, why did you want to put your coach on blast like that if you're this tight group? So. It's a, I'll be interested to see, you know, you know, these things tend to settle once the emotion is gone and folks are so transparent right after the game because it's so much build up to it and so much pain and angst. I'm just a little concerned that, that you would have to put that on front street right after the game. I didn't even know about it, man. We hadn't gone over a thing. And then Chiefs were like, gone over it. We go through it all the time. Right. So we made one look like they were, were not prepared, and, and, and that's just a bad look for a team that had every reason to feel like this was their season and particularly in the first half when Kansas City absolutely did not look like they were going to win the game. And and it's hard to believe that now, but they couldn't block for Mahomes. In the first half, the Chiefs' first five possessions, punt, punt, fumble, punt, and a field goal to end the half. The Chiefs did not look like they were going to win the football game at all. Meanwhile, the Niners, if you think about it, they took the ball on the opening kickoff, Rick, and drove straight down the field, and they ran it. And what did people say? Well, they won't be able to run the football. The Chiefs got the number one defense. Oh, man, McCaffrey was gashing them, and they were moving the ball down the field. Why do I know that? Because here's the stats. McCaffrey, six yards. Purdy, short pass to Jusek, 18 yards. Uh, McCaffrey, 11 yards. McCaffrey up the middle, 11 yards. Then they go for two yards, and then the fumble. And so that kind of went, oh, they got nothing out of that at all. But they came off the field feeling like they were okay. And so the Chiefs had to kind of gather themselves, Rick, and not to mention our boy Travis Kelsey losing his ever-loving mind on the sideline as you could see the frustration building because I'm sitting with Whitey watching the game and I'm going, they have not thrown the ball to Kelsey. And they didn't show any footage to see if they were doing any kind of double teams, you know, the, the Belichick way where they'll take the main guy out the game. They don't care. So I didn't get to see that. He just didn't have but one completion for one yard, which tells me if he was open, Mahomes would have got it to him. So, so it wasn't happening for them at all, and it so, certainly got tight. So back to your point about the Niners, they had full control of the football game. They totally were dominating it in the first half, and they had to go into halftime feeling pretty good about themselves except one thing. They had done all they could 
and they still were only up seven points as they headed into halftime. David Smith, our NFL correspondent, joining us on the program. Yeah, I agree. It tells me the team wanted to get out there about Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, we're not going to let him skate on this, and it makes you wonder – about that relationship, but uh, you're right. And the Chiefs, that's why I never understood. You know, we and I were breaking it down in the – in. I, I, if people were – Vegas, you know, had the 49ers' favor. I'm like, well, wait a minute. You're expecting Brock <laughs> Purdy to win this game over Patrick Mahomes? I, I never understood all that. And sure enough, that's what it was. I mean, you know, over time you could sense there was never a panic. Once they realized – that they held him to a field goal, that game was over. I was telling, I mean, it, it, there was no sense at all the whole game I watched anyway that the Niners are going to win, but especially when they kicked that field goal, and I was like, well, this game just ended. The Chiefs are going to come right down and score, and sure enough, they did. Well, interestingly enough, Rick, as well as the Niners did in the first half with only a seven point lead, then comes another opportunity. What does Mahomes do? He has the brain cramp of all brain cramps. Yeah. He does bleed. He is human. He throws an interception. Terrible pass. Inexplicably. Oh, it was, it was a horrible pass. And that was at the beginning of the third quarter as I look at this. And so here's the Niners with another chance to kind of at least get some separation. This one-score thing, this 10 nothing thing, with that guy on the other side, you just know. In fact, sometimes I think the Chiefs are better when there's distress because what happens then is that they don't have to be so scripted. And who's better at being off script? than that guy. That's and right. So That's right. After that possession, what happens is is the Niners end up having to punt. So they got nothing out of it, as it turned out. But then Kansas City comes back and punts. So still, it's still 10-3, and nothing's really happening. The Niners, once again, they then punt. So you have those possessions where nothing really happens. The, Chief comes, the Chiefs come out of that thing, and then they get a field goal in that possession. Now it's 10-6. And you're thinking to yourself, Niners, you better get rid of this guy. It's 10-6. Mahomes hasn't really been himself. Kelsey's just kind of getting started. Hadn't really had those kind of Kelsey uh, plays yet. And yet, it was, they were just hanging in there. The OAD is just hanging there. A one-score game with the greatest guy ever to play the game uh, in, in a lot of eyes of some, at least at this age of the game, on this stage of the game. Now it's 10-6. Meanwhile, the Niners, once again, don't do anything, and they end up punting, and so does the Chiefs. And it's from that situation where the fumble happens. And then one, the first play after that, MBS is wide open in the end zone. Now all of a sudden, ladies and gentlemen, you got us, you got yourselves a football game. It's thirteen to ten, and here we go. And so from that point on, you felt like the Niners were in a little bit of I don't want to say panic mode, but instead of them being kind of ready to go and super aggressive, they kind of were just piddling around. I feel like they were sensing it a little bit. And I think, you know, I think pressure's real in this thing, Rick. Uh, Kyle Shanahan's a fantastic too. coach. I really think, like all, he wants that monkey off him, too. It reminds me a little bit of when Steve Young finally broke through and won a Super Bowl yeah, yeah. when he had that moniker of taking the monkey off my back on the sideline mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. Which, ironically, which ironically, for all those Cowboys fans, Kenny Brooks coming up included, and Jermaine Farrell on the front end, another Cowboys fan. The Niners have not won a Super Bowl in 30 years. It's 1994. We don't talk about that. Everyone talked about the Cowboys uh, not getting back to the championship game, but the Niners haven't won a Super Bowl since 1994 either. We don't really kind of see it that way, even though they've had eight appearances. But I give the Niners credit, though, Rick. After that, they did come back down. That's when they got the TD to make it 16-13, and then there's where the inexplicable missed extra point makes it a one-point game. And there's something about that in the building that you kind of go, uh-oh, now they only need a field goal. Well, certainly Mahomes can get you 30 or 40 yards 
in a possession to get you in field goal position. So I got a sense that Kansas City was taken off the hook a little bit there. And then the score being 16-13. to 13, And, of course, we know how it goes from there. The Chiefs drive down the field uh, with a chance to win it, tie that game up. But then, of course, we all know what happens down the road when Brock, Brock Purdy had a chance to really lock that game up before the Chiefs got the TD. And on third and four, the pass gets deflected. They ended up having to, uh, to punt. Um, and at that point, they were up three. And then, of course, Mahomes takes them down the field for the field goal. And don't forget, he had a chance to win that game in regulation. They were down near the goal line. Uh, the pass to Kelsey with time running out goes short. They kick the field goal. Then they go to overtime. And then uh, there's the overtime decision. So I'll ask you, you feel as though Shanahan knew the rule and decided to go take the ball in overtime? Or do you feel he blacked out and didn't know the rule? What is your take on I think that? He bla- I think he blacked out like the team. I, I think it's just <laughs> something that kind of skipped their mind a little bit, whereas the Chiefs were preparing for that specific thing. And Mahomes said they'd been doing that heading into the playoff, the first game against Buffalo. They started thinking about all that. So I believe it was a product of it. So I think the players are being honest. I think they were like, you know what? He never came to us to remind us. We kind of figured it was the whole. So I, I really believe he just forgot, and he doesn't want to admit that. He can't admit that no. publicly. But, yeah, I, doesn't it feel that way? Because I don't know why else well, you would take yeah. the, go ahead and take the ball like that. Well, it's so interesting because I'm watching the game, and I'm I for a second I forgot it, but I heard Romo and Nance talk about this is the first time since the new rule, which was the Kansas City-Buffalo rule. And as soon as I heard that, I should have remembered that it was that both teams got the ball no matter what happened versus the first team that gets and scores a TD. That's why the rule was changed. And so the fact that I, I'm, I'm sitting on my couch watching it, I didn't have to worry about knowing it wasn't going to cost me anything. The fact that people who are professionals are at the very least saying we weren't as prepared for that is odd to me when all you have to do in your life is prepare for games. Right. That's a little bit odd for someone who is so strategic as Kyle Shanahan is, particularly on the offensive end. Uh, it's a little bit stunning to me, but but one thing's for sure: if you take it and go down and don't get the TD, you now set yourself up for a situation where. And then there was there were folks who were saying it probably was the best move because the defense had just been on the field as the Chiefs marched all the way down the field in the fourth quarter and held them to a field goal. If he hadn't have taken the ball, the defense would have had to go back on the field exhausted. That probably wouldn't have boded well for him too. If you want to apologize for him, you can use that. Uh, interestingly enough, if the Niners get that TD, and they didn't, and that was because it was a blown coverage situation there, then that would have been a situation where they would have had a TD, and then the Chiefs would have had to get one, and then you go into overtime, uh, a second phase of it. So as it turned out, though, you know, it only matters what happens. This is a Super Bowl. You get one crack at that thing, and so the Chiefs come back down the field. you got to give them credit, too. The Niners get the field goal, and the defense had done a nice enough job all day, but when it mattered the most, it was Mahomes, and it was his legs, Rick. It was his doggone legs. He led the team in rushing with 66 yards, not to mention he threw for 333. And here's the thing. You and I have been on this call now 15 minutes, and I'm glad we haven't. The one thing we aren't going to say is that Brock Purdy calls them the football game. Right. We are not doing that. He was not the reason they didn't win. He was not the reason that hell kept them back at all. And nope. Christian McCaffrey nope. ran for 80, and he caught passes for 80. In fact, I would say this. Christian McCaffrey was having his way. Why do I say that? Hey, my eyes saw it. He ran the ball for 80 yards, but he only had, you believe this? He only had eight carries in the game. They you believe stopped that? running. I, didn't, I know. I, I didn't know. realize that he ran it so few times because he also uh, 
I'm sorry, he carried it for 22 times for 80 yards. So Reverend Nigg on that, it was eight receptions for 80 yards. So, and I, interestingly enough, still felt like they had more of a chance to run the football a little bit more. They ended up with 31 carries. They only got three and a half yards a rush. But I feel like, you know, when you think about it, this was more of the Chiefs finding a way. This, I, I think other than the overtime blunder, I'm not going to give Shanahan the worst of it. But guess what? Everyone else in America is because if you don't finish the deal, you're going to be looked upon as somebody who couldn't. And so I'm here to, to applaud the Chiefs. And let's give Andy Reid his. He's the, here's one for you, Rick. Fourth winningest coach of all time, sneakily. Now got three Super Bowls. The Chiefs have six appearances. They're four and two in those. And he's the winningest coach of two franchises. The only coach in the history to be the winningest coach of two franchises. That's a pretty good resume right there. And he will be back next year based on everything he says. So, um, that's where it stands with me, and we have got to crown those Chiefs Super Bowl champs. That's a long way away from me picking Joe Burrow and the Bengals <laughs> <laughs> well, back in September to get there against the Eagles. That was my pick, and you can see where that landed. <laughs> yeah, I think you said it right. I, I, Patrick Mahomes won the game or took that game and gave it to his team, but I'll say this. Kyle Shanahan Thank gave you. the Chiefs the opportunity that they shouldn't have had. I think Kyle Shanahan, I, I just don't think he had that team prepared for that situation. Not just the, the overtime rules, but like you said, the, the special teams faux pas. The, the fact that, yes, you know you have to run the ball to keep Mahomes off the field. How does your best player get it just eight times? I don't, there were so many things that you just sit back and he's got to wear this. Yeah, if you're going to blame one guy, if people, and they do that, right? They want to blame... You can't blame Brock Purdy. You're going to blame Kyle Shanahan because if he's going to get the credit for when they do something well, he, right. he did not put them in a situation to win, whereas Andy Reid showed you his experience and composure in that same situation. Yeah, to be clear, McCaffrey had 22 carries for 80 yards, eight receptions Eight for receptions, 80. yeah. But, my, but, but here's what I will say Rick, regarding that. I still feel like the Niners had their way running the football. Purdy threw for 38 attempts in the game. Mahomes threw for 46. I just felt like the best remedy for keeping Patrick Mahomes from winning the game is keeping him over there watching. Right. And uh, I remember the Giants the year that they beat the Buffalo Bills with that K-Gun offense. Yeah, yeah. They had, they had the ball for 40 minutes uh, compared to like 19 or 20 for the, uh, for the Buffalo Bills because they knew the best method was to do that. And here's the weirdest thing of all that also happened for the Niners. How in the world could a guy, Dre, Dre Greenlaw, who was dominating the football game defensively early on, he runs on the field know, and tears his kill. How terrible. I mean, yeah, that was – and he was – if you remember the first two or three plays, because I was watching going, boy, 57 is on one He today. was, he was. And he was he was absolutely a factor. And, again, no one's going to care about that because that's how the sport goes, a up, next man up kind of thing. That impacts a lot of things and what they want to do. Uh, if it didn't, he wouldn't start, right? So – He's an otherworldly linebacker that that caused him probably some setbacks there. And then, of course, you have the guy that gets hit, hits Kelsey at the end of the game. One of the DBs hurts his shoulder. Debo pulled a hamstring, kind of looked like he was trying to power through it. No one cares. Everyone's playing. You're just trying to get to the finish line. And so I'm with you. So back to your Shanahan point, there's no question. He's got to wear it until he wins it. It's going to be this way. Sadly, it was a lot that way for your Broncos. Yep. Some of the Dan Reeves yep. days, you know, and Elway. Elway had to deal with that. You know, not only did he lose three Super Bowls, he got smashed in them. In a lot of cases, it wasn't competitive. But uh, but props to you because you took the Chiefs and I, I took the Niners <laughs> I as did. we close out our picks for the season. 
But I'm one short. Perfect... <laughs> you're one short. <laughs> there you go, brother. 102 games, and you ended up just behind. And so, you know what? That means we'll have to tee it up next year. And maybe we'll get smart enough to include uh, Burnup and uh, Jermaine in some of these as we move through the season next year. Maybe we'll include them on a game or two, see if we can add this Tuesday fun day. There so, you go. Before there I go, go. Uh, you got Kenny Brooks coming on next, yeah, right? Yeah, Kenny's going on here just a second, yeah. Had a chance to go to his game. Wifey uh, got season tickets on the heels of that. Uh, she has befriended uh, Kenny's wife through, through some mutual friends of ours. And let me just tell you something. If there's anybody in the country doing it the right way more than Kenny Brooks, I don't know who it is. And and as a women's basketball coach and having I'm being a girl dad, my girls played and that kind of thing, the way he does it, the connectivity he has with his players is unmatched. And I watch more than enough women's basketball. And for those who are just finding women's basketball, Pebbles and I would say to you, where have you been? It's always been great. It's elevated exponentially now. And what Virginia Tech is doing, and Kenny's having all the success, and they're ranked 12th. Finally, they moved them up where they need to be. But, uh, but Kenny's been doing this for a while. People forget Reagan McGarity a couple of years ago. She graduated as the leading rebounder in ACC history, too. I mean, I, I understand Liz Kitley and Georgia Amor, but we were there when Taylor Emery was playing and his development with players, what he did with Asia Shepard from being a a moderate player as a freshman to being a WNBA champion and graduating, leading the league or, or certainly the school when threes made. So we've seen it forever. And I saw his JMU teams. They were legit too. So Kenny, even though you're a Cowboys fan, a Waynesboro guy, I'm an Amherst guy, we're rooting for you throughout, buddy. And we'd be at the games throughout. And so props to him. He deserves everything he's getting right now. And we certainly root for him. All right, man. Well, listen, great stuff. And uh, we'll look at some of the things here in the offseason next Tuesday. Can't wait, bro. We're going to move on to this thing. Draft is coming up. Combine is coming up. We'll talk about them all. All right. There you go. That's David Smith, our NFL correspondent. More coming up. Stay with us. Man, I wish I had that dude's voice. It's good stuff. All right. Coming up. The aforementioned Kenny Brooks will join us, the head women's basketball coach at Virginia Tech. Don't forget, tomorrow during the Roth Report, Louise Baker giving away more tickets for women, too. Yeah, we segue right into that. Kenny Brooks, scheduled next, final segment on a Tuesday. Thanks so much to Mike Burnett, Jermaine Farrell, and David Smith. We'll be back. Hi, this is Kenny Brooks, head women's basketball coach at Virginia Tech, and I love listening to Big Dog Sports Talk. And we welcome you back. Great stuff here on this Tuesday with Mike Burnup and with Jermaine Farrell and with David Smith. And now, as you just heard, joining us on the program, he is the head women's basketball coach of the Virginia Tech women's basketball team. Always one of our favorite conversations. Kenny Brooks joins us once again. Coach, how are you? Good morning. Rick, I'm doing great, man. How about yourself? Doing okay. Doing okay. Listen, uh, congratulations. I know you guys have uh, really got it together over the last two and a half, three weeks, seven-game winning streak. Let me ask you, uh, as you head now the middle of February, is this team now starting to get into that flow? I know you're looking for it because you've talked about it. This is a time of year, right? You guys want to be coming together. Yeah, I mean, I really like where we are. And uh, I think uh, early on in the year, uh, there were expectations put on us, and maybe unfairly so, um, because we, we just had to really gel with a group that uh, we had nine newcomers. And, uh, yeah, of course, we had our, our three, uh, you know, stellar stars in Georgia, Liz, and Kayla, who had been through a lot and took us to a Final Four. But when you have five freshmen and, and – well, actually six freshmen and 
and three uh, transfers, it's going to take a little bit of time. And so the thing I really love about our group, they're very resilient mentally, um, and they never let doubt seek in. And, you know, a lot of times we would lose a game and we would drop so far in the polls, uh, but we never got angry and tried to prove people wrong. We were just really just trying to go out and prove ourselves right. And so I think that really put us in a really great mind frame. And uh, we just continue to get better. And uh, the kids are understanding their roles. They're, they're really settling into them. And, uh, and it happened organically. You know, we didn't have to have, you know, a lot of meetings and whatnot. Um, but it was just really understanding it. And uh, when it happens that way, it's natural. And uh, they're really playing loose and free. And they understand what they need to do for each other. How much, Coach, do you attribute that to the fact you, – you mentioned the word trust in the past, the, the trust that you have in this core group, not only with what they're going to bring in leadership, but also with how they're helping these younger players you just mentioned be able to go through all the pitfalls of a season. Well, trust is everything, and I trust those three with you know my life, essentially. And uh, we're very, very close. Uh, the understanding that we have amongst each other uh, is very, very strong. And, um, you know, when you've been with the kids for five years, and I've been with all three of them for five years, Georgia four and a half, um, you just develop this trust. And and those are three kids that go out, they do it the right way. They do everything the right way. You know, whether it's, you know, schoolwork, you know, they're all 4.0 students, uh, whether it's, you know, just the way that they conduct themselves on the court, off the court, uh, it's just a great testament to your your program. And, uh, and this year, they, they've gone a step further. They used to be lead-by-example kids. Uh, when you had a Kiana Trailer and you had a uh, Taylor Soul and a DeAsia Gregg, uh, you didn't have to lead them. They all just kind of led themselves. And this year, I really needed uh, my three to step up and be more vocal leaders because the people that they were playing with had never been there before. And uh, so they've really taken on the challenge. They've been exceptionally well at doing it. Uh, they come out of their comfort zone because – as I mentioned before, they were just lead by example kids. And now they're able to share their experiences. They're able to tell the kids, the other players, what I really mean when I say something. And, uh, and it takes a little bit of pressure off me because, you know, if Georgia sees me getting frustrated, she'll gather the group together and say, hey, guys, we need to pick it up because he's about to blow his top. Or, you know, Liz can say, well, he says this, but this is what he really means. And, uh, and I trust them because they know – what I want and they know what I mean and then they go on into the court and you know Georgia is like an extension of me and uh, she'll come and she'll tell me what she's seen and and she'll be able to go and uh, you know suggest something and I'm like hey yeah go with it you know Liz will be able to you know relate something to the younger players hey we have to do this and it's been a great great maturation to watch them grow into this type of leader and I think it's going to bode well for them not only on the court but off the court as well. Kenny Brooks joining us on the program, the head women's basketball coach over at Virginia Tech. And, you know, a couple things, Coach, I observed. I was watching you guys, obviously, at NC State, and it was the biggest game of the year in the conference. And that trust, I'm looking over and I'm seeing, you know, the other sideline, they're all, you know, jumping around. You're sitting there, your arms crossed, and I just said, you know what? He knows they're going to win this game. Now, you may not have had the time, but I'm like, he is just sitting there watching this thing unfold because he knows his team is going to take care of this. At least that's the way it came across. Well, you know, it, well, trust me, there was a lot of churning in my stomach going on at the time. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I think I just do a pretty good job of uh, pretending like it's not there, but it's definitely there. Uh, no, but it, it, and again, uh, the kids that we have, you know, Liz, Kayla, and Georgia, they're battle-tested. 
and they've been in those kind of games. They've been in the biggest, you know, scenarios. Uh, we played in front of a sold out crowd, but you know, we played in front of sold out crowds, you know, numerous times this year, uh, last year, in Final Four, and uh, they just had a they just had a, a calm about themselves. You know, they stayed poised through you know certain situations. They went out, they executed. Uh, and and then we played really good defense that what that game. Mm-hmm. So I just really felt connected uh, with them that that game, and they were really exceptional. And um and you know, but again, when you have the trust of of like a Georgia Amore, and she's a little coach on the floor, uh, you can be a little bit calmer on the sidelines, or at least look like you are. Coach, uh, going back to a conversation we had last year, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you kind of felt like the game against Duke last year was a turning point, right? I mean, the way that game went down and they were doing some things and your guys really responded. This year, of course, you've started the seven-game winning streak after the Duke game. Do you feel yeah. like there's any similarities to the fact that it was both Duke each year and now you guys have got it turned around? No, I mean, yeah, it, it is ironic. It is ironic that it <laughs> happened that way. Uh, you know, we still have a lot of basketball left to play. We still write the story, but um, you know, it, it did. You know, it, both games were very similar. They they were, they're very physical. They're very physical to the point where sometimes you don't you don't even recognize the game. You don't know if it's basketball or football. I might have to go talk to Coach Pry and see if I can get a helmet <laughs> or something uh, out there. But uh, you know, it's part of it, and uh, and. And unless the referees are, are really taking control of the game, you have to go out there and you have to manage it. You have to play the way that the game is being officiated. And so we know it's going to be a very physical basketball game. And, and so when you when you go to a fight, you have to have your fist balled up. And I think when we went there this year and last year, we didn't have our fist balled up. And uh, we let them take us out of what we wanted to do. And it frustrated us. And then last year we learned a lesson. Uh, this year I think we learned a lesson. And so – as I mentioned, we have a lot of basketball left to play, and you know, I don't. I mean, there are some similarities in the situations, but um, you know, it really did. You know, sometimes a game like that can kick you backwards, and uh, but we wanted to make it kick us forward, and, uh, and in both instances, uh, it's done so. Well, and I'm not going to put you in position to comment on what happened on uh, Sunday to Liz, but yeah. uh, speaking of that, and and the way she came through that, I mean, she's sitting there in the post game pressure uh, presser with two whelps on her head. She still goes out there and puts up a double double. Can you just talk about how she manages that? And my goodness, she knows that's what's going to happen, and the league's going to have to get their hands around this. I mean, she's the best player in the league. I don't get it, but anyway, that's a conversation for another day. But I know there was some frustration, but boy, how about the way she came through all that on Sunday? Yeah, the frustration kind of boiled over. And, you know, it's been happening all year, all last year. Uh, people know that they can't guard her, so they, they, they resort to, you know, physicality and sometimes you know it's just not fair to her because it's not as i mentioned not basketball when you can send not only if you have one person that's trying to be physical it's one thing but when you have two people and three people uh she got hit on sunday and that was a third person who came in and okay it's one thing to be able to guard yourself against you know your primary defender but when people are just coming in with reckless abandon and they don't care how they do it they just want to stop her or, or or get her prevent her from getting off a shot it's just not fair to her, but it is a testament to her numbers and her performances. You know, I always, I always use the analogy, like, like think about if, if you had your producer and both your ears talking to you right now while you're trying to ask me a question and I'm mm-hmm. trying to answer it, you're, you're distracted. But she still goes out yeah. and she gets, she gets what I call a ho-hum 24 points and 15 rebound performance. And that just goes to the greatness of who she is, not only as a player with those numbers, but as a, as a person – because she doesn't retaliate, she doesn't complain, 
you know, she and I talk about it privately, and I have my conversations with the, the higher authority. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's just that it doesn't take her out of her game, and she's so locked in and focused. And the way that she goes about her business, you know, I just marvel at it because, you know, she doesn't complain. She just plays. And um, just imagine what her numbers would be if, if she were if she were being protected like an offensive player is supposed to be protected. Exactly, exactly. Kenny Brooks joining us on the program, the head women's basketball coach at Virginia Tech. Coach, just a couple more questions and we'll let you go here. But, uh, man, I'll tell you what, speaking of a gauntlet, these final five games, not going to be easy, any of them. And uh, we talked about this a little bit, though. You kind of you kind of relish that, right? I mean, this is really going to keep your team in that right mind, I think, heading to the tourney. Well, I, I think the whole year has been a gauntlet, you know, starting yeah. with Iowa and the LSU and, uh, you know, play Rutgers. And there's so many good teams that were on our schedule. Um, and, and we knew that. We knew that going in, and it's, we wanted to challenge ourselves and with a non-conference, and I think we did so. And, uh, and, then, and then, you know, it's going to prepare us for what we're going through right now. And the only, the only great thing about going through a gauntlet like this, when you look at your schedule and you say, man, we have to go play at uh, NC State or at UNC, at Louisville, at Notre Dame, you know, the great thing is that they're saying, oh, my goodness, we have to play Virginia Tech. And so we put ourselves in position to be able to compete with anyone. And so now you have to learn how to handle it. And the way that we handle it is just focus one game at a time. You know, if you, if you look, if you look, you know, two games ahead, three games ahead, you know, it, you could get depressed mm-hmm. because, you know, cause it's, it's, a, it's a gauntlet, as you mentioned. But if you look at it one game at a time, and that's what we've done, and um, we've been very successful at doing so and locking in and, and just focusing on what's right in front of us, it could be, it could be you know, something that you can achieve. You can achieve all your goals. And right now, we hold the cards. We are we in first place, and we control our own destiny. So we don't have to look at scoreboard and say, "Hey, well, if they lose, and we can do this." If you just go out and take care of business every game, you know you're where you want to be. And, uh, and these kids are really locked in and focused. And uh, doesn't mean that you're going to win every game because this league is the best league in the country. Uh, but you put yourself in position to do so, and that's what I, that's all you can ask for as a coach. Yeah, that's a great point you you bring up, and I don't know if fans think about that, but there'd be it'd be easy for a team like this after what happened last year to kind of want to get rushed toward the end of the season, right? Let's get ourselves right. back in that postseason. Let's just start over again. No, but you're right. That focus is what makes a, a special team. Just what you're talking about. Absolutely, and you know, I, I think our kids they, they love being Hokies and everything that they built here. Uh, you know, we're playing in front of sold out crowds. And that wasn't always the case. You know, we were always just trying to, you know, gather enough people, you know, enough attention so that people would come out. And now they're sold out crowds. And so I think that really helps us, too, because they're cherishing every moment. And they're not looking ahead to anything different because they want to enjoy what's going on at the moment. And now we're playing in front of sold out crowds. People are really celebrating the kids, which they deserve. And um, it just makes me very, very proud as a coach to watch all this come to and watch the attention that the kids are getting. And, of course, uh, it'll be sold out again coming up on Thursday when uh, you guys uh, host those same Duke Blue Devils. Coach, listen, we really appreciate you taking the time this morning, man. Congratulations on what you've gotten done so far. I know there's still a lot to accomplish, and I appreciate you as always. Uh, my pleasure, Rick. I really appreciate you. Thank you. All right, man. Take care. There you go. That's uh, Kenny Brooks. He's the head women's basketball coach at Virginia Tech. I thought it was a salient point he made, too, right? That was – you can get rushed as a team to get to this point because you're thinking about everything and how close you were last year, but 
can you go out and treat every game like, okay, this is what we have to do. It's in front of us. And I think that focus is what's making this team uh, now come together. And here they are right now atop the uh, league standings. All right, we're going to take our final break, come back. Don't forget, you can hear all the women's games coming up on uh, 100.7. That's Hot 100 with Evan Hughes. You can tune him in beginning at 8 o'clock or check that 7.30 on Thursday with an 8 o'clock tip against Duke. We'll be back. Wrap up the program after this. Yes, tell us. More than anything in the world, Ron. Well, it's really quite simple. It's kind of like... Gonna find my baby, gonna hold her tight, gonna grab some afternoon delight. My motto's always been, when it's right, it's right. Why wait until the middle of a cold, dark night? When everything's a little clearer in the light of day. And we know the night is always gonna be here anyway. Thinking of you's working up my appetite Looking forward to a little afternoon delight Rubbing sticks and stones together make a sparks ignite And the thought of loving you is getting so exciting Skyrockets in flight Afternoon delight You guys have it, I think Afternoon delight Alright, we had a call-in request for a little bit of afternoon delight So yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll... We'll play that. We had a little time. Thanks to uh, Kenny Brooks for joining us there. David Smith, Jermaine Farrell, and Mike Burnup before him. Good stuff. Uh, tomorrow, Keon Brown will join us on the program. It'll be the Roth Report. Bill Roth, don't forget, Louise Baker going to be giving away more tickets for women's hoops for Duke on Thursday. And then uh, maybe some other stuff going on tomorrow here on the program. I think the most frustrating part, just listening to Kenny, and I wasn't going to put him in a situation um, to talk about the officiating because he he spoke his piece on Sunday, and you know you can't go around talking about it. That's the the silly rules that are in place, right? You officials, as bad as they are, you, you God forbid you point that out. But you think about this: if you're a tech fan or any just sports fan, usually the superstars will get a little bit of extra eye on them to make sure they don't get the kind of treatment that uh, Kitley got on Sunday. And it just sounds like his coach was saying, why is that not happening for her? Right? It does seem like that is ignored. When it's the norm everywhere across the country, just watch South Carolina play as good as they are. They're big players down low. They always are protected. Connecticut's players in the day used to be protected. I don't know why it hasn't transferred over to who is clearly the best player in her league once again. But that adds, I know, to the frustration of it. And I can only imagine what that's like for Kenny Brooks watching that happen to her. Um, I mean, she's sitting there looking like she just (laughs) – you know, she had more bumps on her head than a Tom and Jerry cartoon, right? You know, you get the (laughs) mallet and then the – 
the big whelp would show up or a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Uh, that's what she looked like sitting there. But she went about her business, put together another double-double, and ho-hum. Um, you can keep on doing that, but I'm still going to get my number. So we'll see how they do in the rematch against the Dukies. I, I sense they're going to fare pretty well at home on Thursday night. Um, but anyway, we'll be giving away tickets tomorrow courtesy of uh, Louise Baker. Tonight, again, it's late, 9 o'clock. I'll find out who won tomorrow morning because I won't be able to stay up. But uh, it'll be on 8.30 over on the Bear, 105.3, Zach and Mike, 9 o'clock tippish. Nine-ish tippish. It'll probably be a little after 9, but Tech at home tonight on the men's side against Florida State. Yeah. Thanks a lot, TV. Thanks. Thanks, ESPN. So 9 o'clock. Thanks to everybody who chimed in, as always. Always a lot of fun to talk to peeps about uh, whatever might be on your mind. Good text messages and uh, good conversation today. And tomorrow, we'll we resume it once again on the Hump Day Wednesday edition. Everybody take care, stay safe, bundle up. We'll see you tomorrow. Center for. I'm Ron Burgundy. You stay classy, New River Valley.